You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning, welcome to the show. It's Tuesday the 23rd of November. Temperatures continuing to drop here in TW11 as we build towards Ladbrokes Trophy weekend at Newbury. Lots to talk about during the course of the next half an hour or so. Brian Hughes will be champion jockey this year again, unless something extraordinary happens. He's reached his fastest ever 100 winners, and we speak to the man who's provided over half of them, Donald McCain, in a few moments' time, with great insight as to what's made Hughes such a good jockey. We'll talk more about the political ramifications of a power grab in the sport on behalf of the horsemen and the racecourses to diminish the commercial powers of the British Horse Racing Authority within their tribe apartheid agreement. There's been a very interesting intervention by a board member of the Racehorse Owners Association. We'll also talk about the potential of a new chief executive at Chester Racecourse. A big boost for prize money in France. France Gallo's chief executive Olivier Delois tells us why. For bloodstock enthusiasts, Nancy Sexton is along in association with Weatherby's to talk you through this year's return of mares. And there's even a Christmas gift suggestion in the shape of an excellent new racing quiz book. But we start with the news that jockey Robbie Dunn is going to face a disciplinary panel hearing next Tuesday. Cornelius Lysett joins me. Cornelius, what are the details? Well, we we, we have now, uh, are now getting to the climax of this investigation, which has been going on for uh, a very long time, it seems, and has con- caused considerable speculation. So we know that six days have been set aside at the British Horse Racing Authority uh, from Tuesday the 30th of November. Uh, to get this get get this hearing going, and Robbie Dunn faces charges relating to conduct prejudicial to the good reputation of British racing, and violent or improper behaviour on the racecourse, i.e., verbally abusing a fellow licensed jockey, uh, and uh, the instances uh, are said to have taken place at Stratford on July the eighth, twenty twenty, at Utoxeter, August seventeenth. 2020 and Savile September the 3rd 2020 and we know because there has been uh, all this speculation and talk uh, that uh, the allegations are said to have taken place against uh, Bryony Frost. Robbie Dunn is expected to uh, attend this hearing which will take place at the authorities headquarters at High Hope in central London. It's unclear if Bryony Frost will uh, give evidence in person or by Zoom. Media interest in this is intense uh, and uh, media not being allowed to attend in person, but uh, are able to do so by Zoom. And clearly, this is a, a very big case for British racing, for racing as a whole, but for, for sport as a whole as well, and, and even more than that, really, because the, um, the central allegations against Robbie Dunn uh, relate to sexism, bullying, uh, two massive things as far as British sport is concerned, and indeed society is concerned about uh, at the moment. Um, some detail was uh, leaked by the Sunday Times a week or two ago. There was talk about Chris Watts, the investigating officer, leaving the authority. Presumably we'll hear more on that front. The six days, I think, is interesting, isn't it? That seems to me quite a lot. My understanding is 
it's expected that at least some of that time could be taken up with legal argument, uh, not with specific, uh, you know, you did this or you didn't do that, but specific legal argument. So six days sounds a lot, but, uh, you know, this, this is really important, really significant, uh, and uh, there will be uh, an element of legal argument. I should say that the maximum penalty, maximum penalty uh, relating to that uh, is uh, a three-year ban uh, and or a fifteen thousand pound fine, but emphasise that's the maximum penalty, the the entry point when uh, punishments are sorted out. If uh, people are, if anyone's found guilty of anything, are rather lower than that. Well, that'll take up a fair chunk of next week, no doubt. On to matters more immediate, and jockey Brian Hughes rode his hundredth winner of the season yesterday. He is rapidly on his way to regaining his champion jockey's crown. And his main employer has been Donald McCain, himself a a, a really resurgent force amongst the training ranks here in the United Kingdom. And I've been speaking to Donald about what it is that makes Hughes such an effective rider. Well, it's his professionalism and his dedication, Nick. um, um, It sometimes still baffles me on the morning we can be schooling one and... um, we're walking back down, I might be with an owner or something, and we're discussing the horse, and suddenly he reels off his pedigree, and who his mother's related to, and all this sort of stuff. This is Brian, you know, he's, he, he knows the form book inside out, he knows the program book inside out. Um, one of my biggest owners said to me one day, just after I asked him to take the job, to be honest, he walked down to the last fence one day and um, came back and said to me, Donald, he said, I can see it. He said, um, he just makes the whole thing look so simple, you know. And I think that's a little bit lost on people on occasions. The art of being very, very good at something is the fact that you don't overcomplicate it and you make it look very, very easy. And, and what Brian does through a race is sometimes, obviously, we study it closer than most others. And um, what he does through a race is um, uh, to arrive there with, with the chance is, 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 is massive, you know. And, and so just tell me a bit more specifically what you're referring to. Is it a question of, of ground saving, um, getting horses jumping? What, what are the specific things that you see in a race that other jockeys don't do? Well, he's always in the right place to start with. I mean, in, in the north of England especially, he goes where he wants. He does what he wants. He's, he's, he's always in the right place. He always arrives in the right place at the right time. For a small, light fella... He, he can make a very keen horse switch off very well. Um, jumping obstacles is effortless, you know, and um, and um, he, 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 he will on occasions, you can see him just set his own clock and not worry about what's going on, going on around him, you know? Yeah, he seems to be able to get horses to absolutely minimise their their effort through a race so he's getting he's getting total economy all the time so he's always driving the car on economy absolutely and and and, and i'll be the first man to say it took me a while to, to to get my head around it a little bit you know in 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 the past how we used to do things and that sort of stuff um and and on occasions i'd get a bit frustrated and finally get a bit frustrated but we seem to have found a really nice middle ground now where he's a bit more positive they were telling on telly the other day that we were two good winners from the front the other day and, and that sort of stuff. And he, he knows how our horses need to be ridden and it's done in a more controlled manner than I was used to it happening. And what people don't see is I ran four horses, three who were 
winners at Catrick the other day and they had their first canter yesterday and they've come off the gallop doing absolute somersaults. They don't even know they've been racing, you know, and that's very important. So he's a, a tremendous asset to you. Your horses are, are running remarkably well. One of those winners at Catrick was a, a horse who's now racked up a seven-timer. So now, because of that, and quite rightly, has a bit of a cult following, Minella Trump. Um, <laughs> could you have imagined that he would do something like this when you first got him? Well, when I first got him, we paid, we paid fair money for him, so I was hoping he was going to turn into a nice horse. He won his novice hurdles and did that fine. Um and then we went chasing and his first one over fences was a really solid one and then he got a bit of a fright at Doncaster and it went completely pear-shaped I can't really describe it another way he made a mistake early he got surrounded by horses the ground had gone and he had a really awful experience and to be honest from then I thought we were just going the wrong way as a chaser and seriously questioned whether he was going to make a chaser um, we came back he went on a bit of nicer ground, so so late summer we came back and um, decided to try fences again, go sensibly, go quietly, and, and I think he won a hurdle race first, then he went chasing, and he won. And as I was saying earlier, the, the new system that's back in place, because we were told this was happening a few years ago, and then a couple of senior trainers jumped up and down, and we had these novice chases with no runners and one good horse in them. Um, We've now more novice handicaps and handicaps to run horses in. And because of that, it's allowed him to find his feet, to, to progress through the ranks. And all of a sudden now, he thinks he's king of the world. And, and he, he, I'm sure he can compete at a higher level. Whereas not that many months ago, we didn't think we'd, jump, we'd be jumping fences again, you know. So the actual change of the system could have just got you your good horse back. Whereas maybe three or four years ago, he'd have been you know, consigned to the to the wilderness. Yeah, I mean we we've we've never been a yard that has the straight out high class horses. Obviously there's the, the the very odd exception, but if you look at the cloudy lanes of this world, Cloudy was <clears throat> you know, a, a, a low to middle in horse to start with and then progress through the ranks and you can see in front of your eyes they start winning and they start believing in themselves in a bit and and, and he turned into a very, very good horse who ran in graded races in the end, although he was probably just a very good handicap chaser. Um, that's the type of horse we have. We want to compete, and we want to be able to compete. You can't do that. and uh, you know, you know, have, We have to progress to be able to compete at those levels rather than just throw them straight in there. And happily, you've got a, a certain Brian Hughes uh, aiding and abetting you every step of the way. Donald, thanks for, for talking to me this morning. Cheers, Nick. All the best. Donald McCain there talking um, extensively about the, the talents of, of Brian Hughes at Cornelius. And, and I thought that was quite interesting, not just about uh, Hughes's domination of the, of the northern scene, but what he does on a horse that other people don't. It's really striking that, um, you know, everybody in whatever they do makes the odd mistake and um, uh, other people criticise them for that. You watch Brian Hughes and you know whether it's uh, at Air or Hexham or Haydock or or say it'll be Sedgefield uh, today where he has four rides, it's almost impossible to detect any 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 mistakes. I suppose if he gets into trouble, he he's deft enough to get out of them uh, again. So he is a he is a, 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 a an absolutely outstanding rider. Uh, completely bosses uh, the the Northern Circuit is bossing uh, the whole championship at the moment, a huge lead over Sam Twiston Davis. 
you know, he is absolutely an all-round superb professional jockey, small P and uh, and big P. Uh, so he is quite serious, but it's a serious business and he is riding uh, a great deal of winners. And I think it's striking, isn't it, that he's got to this 100 with no whip ban and no careless riding ban. Uh, and if Brian Hughes lit up an otherwise quiet Monday, today could be a, an unusually newsy Tuesday, Cornelius. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, at the British Horse Racing Authority, we understand proposals uh, to uh, to alter the the way that British racing is run are going to be put to the um, BHA board uh, today. We won't uh, go through all the details. That was much discussed on the podcast yesterday, but uh, basically meaning that the uh, horsemen's group and the race courses uh, would uh, be more dominant on the commercial side of things, BHA uh, more uh, on the regulatory side of things. I see the, the trade paper, the post today says it's split racing down the middle. Inevitably, it's going to. Uh, but uh, perhaps it's it's the start of a change. Just worth noting that a tweet yeah. from uh, Racehorse Owners Association oh, board yeah. member, Sam, Sam Hoskins, who's sort of a vocal presence on the ROA Racehorse Owners Association board and uh, quite heavily involved in syndication of horses, says giving racecourse groups like ARC and the Sanderson race courses, so that's Redka, Catrick, Weatherby, etc. Even more power at the top table cannot be a good thing. I thoroughly disagree with the proposed restructuring, and despite being a board member, the at-racehorse owners do not represent my views. You know, there, there are many who feel that, uh, uh, that, that the BHA actually should have more uh, power, uh, more ability to, to be a leader. Uh, and racing is in desperate need of some good leadership. Uh, uh, there's so much disagreement that, um, you, you know, those of us like you and I, Nick, looking from the outside, just scratch our heads and wonder how on earth this could could possibly uh, end up working out. But it's going to be discussed uh, today on this important Tuesday. Other uh, three other things uh, on the news agenda uh, for today. Um, we won't again go through the sale of Belfast Bant, who's got this entry in the fighting fifth hurdle on on uh, Saturday. He'll be sold via thoroughbid uh, between five and seven this afternoon. Um, Southall Racecourse reopens after uh, a period of, of quiet while the uh, surface has been, uh, has been uh, changed at Southall. So be good. Good to see racing. It's actually jump racing, jump racing at Savile today. And I understand, uh, back to, to racing administration, uh, that uh, we might hear news of a new CEO, chief executive officer at Chester uh, Racecourse today in place of Richard Thomas. This an important role because Chester is one of the most profitable racecourses around and being at the helm of Chester Racecourse uh, gives uh, whoever that person is uh, a pretty prominent role in British flat racing. So there'll be plenty going on. Uh, all I can do is um, say that tomorrow's pod should be well worth listening to. Whilst we in the UK then drown in a vat of our own um, political difficulty, uh, in France, it's rather a different story because there's a big prize money boost that's been announced for 2022. And here with more details is the chief executive of France Gallo, uh, the administrative body of French racing, Olivier Delois. Olivier, thanks for talking to me again. I'm I'm always happy for somebody to come on and share some some good news about racing wherever it is in the world because we have a global outlook on, on this on this podcast, as you know. Um, just tell us exactly um, how much your prize money is going to go up. Um, good morning, Nick. Uh, yes, prize money will be up uh, 20 million euros uh, in total, which is nearly eight percent up on. Uh, 
on a normal year, I would say, uh, and the normal year, uh, the last one we had is uh, 2019, uh, when we distributed in total 258 million euros. So prize money for next year is budgeted at uh, 278 million euros. And so the obvious question is how? How have you managed to pull this off? Well, uh, first of all, it's, um, it stems from uh, a much more positive outlook uh, on betting figures. Uh, we, we have managed to, to restore uh, a growth, which is quite moderate, but still uh, back to growth uh, in, 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 in France, as far as betting is concerned. Uh, on top of that, we are pretty much developing uh betting uh, overseas on French racing. So the French racing product uh, is attractive and we, we managed to, uh, to, to grow betting on French racing uh, in foreign countries. And, and, and the UK is a very good example of that uh, as we have recorded some, uh, some quite significant growth uh, in the last two years and, and the outlook is, uh, is quite strong as well. Um, and also uh, we will benefit from the full effect of pretty big efforts made by the PMU and France Gallo over the last years to significantly reduce uh, the operating expense. So all in all, that, that really allows to, uh, to maximize the return to uh, owners, breeders, trainers and, and, and jockeys, which is uh, what we are obviously aiming for. Here's something that interested me when you talked about the success of exporting French racing and people betting on it internationally. Um, how important are field sizes in that regard? How important is it that you fill your fields for international wagering? Uh, it, it is important, uh, obviously. Uh, I think it's very important in countries uh, uh, where people bet in pari mutuel, uh, in tote. Uh, but we, we figure out that it's also important in, uh, in, in countries where fixed odds uh, are dominant. Uh, so it's definitely one of the assets uh, of French racing when we when we have to sell the product uh, overseas. Uh, so the combination of uh, quality fields, uh, size of fields, um, reputation of uh, uh, of French professionals, uh, trainers, and, and jockeys, um, all those ingredients uh, probably. Uh, play quite quite a big role in uh, in, in making the, the the product attractive. And and clearly, people will be listening to this, and they'll be drawing comparisons with other countries. And everybody knows funding models are different. And uh, you're a pari mutual funding model. You are a, t- a, t- a tote based funding model. So on to that extent, it it makes accruing prize money uh, more more straightforward and and more effective. On the other hand, there there are plenty of other um, comparisons that people will draw. I mean, to what extent, for example, do you at France Gallo have control over all of the fixture list in France? Well, I must say we are we are quite fortunate to have the full control on the on the fixture list, um, and and this has been very important in the last couple of years to to try and improve the field sizes to try and reduce as much as possible uh, the percentage of races with uh, fewer than eight runners because we we have noticed that those races generate on average 40 percent less turnovers than the others so it, it's been a, a sort of constant battle which is not over uh, of course to uh, 
to um, to decrease the proportion of those races, and and it's very hard to achieve so if you do not have the full control on fixture list and the full control on, on, on the programming of races, uh, because we, with a population of horses which can be down uh, maybe two percent uh, on previous years, the 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 competition that might exist between races can be really damageful in terms of field sizes. Olivier, thanks so much for talking to me um, and uh, looking forward to some excellent racing in France in 2022. Thank you, Nick. Uh, that was Olivier Delois from France Gallo. Uh, turning attentions back to what's happening here, we talked a little yesterday about the Ladbrokes Trophy. Uh, and now we have a clearer idea of which horses might be running. And Cornelius, what was your long-range fantasy with only a, a sprinkling of rain forecast between now and the end of the week? I'm really, really interested in Fiddler on the Roof. Uh, I was really taken with Fiddler on the Roof's success uh, at uh, Carlisle the other day. Uh, the Tizard team uh, clearly didn't have a, a, a good season at all in the uh, 2021 season but going really strong in the 21-22 season. And what was um, striking last weekend, lost in translation, winning at, uh, at Ascot. Here was a horse uh, that had a, had a dismal time last time. But if you took the view, well, I'll just put a line through that and uh, cross my fingers that he is what he was a couple of seasons ago. And he did look like that um, just uh, the last week at Ascot. Okay, I'm talking Christmas gifts for the second time this year on this podcast. So Christmas gift klaxon going off now as I welcome in Steve Jones, racing journalist, uh, to the show, who has published a book, Under Starter's Orders. This is the ultimate racing quiz book. And the good news is, Steve, that every single penny of the proceeds is going to one of racing's charities. Good morning. Good morning, Nick. Yeah, it's, it's a tenner, which is perfect Christmas gift territory just uh stick one in the stocking and uh yeah um chris coley who is fergal o'brien's business partner is the driving force in it he's had to drive me quite hard because uh i needed blinkers and all sorts of other things to keep my concentration in lockdown but we got through it and we we got out the other end and uh uh one of fergal's owners uh nick brereton who is uh bresbet they sponsored uh the publishing and uh printing costs so every single penny of that tenner goes to the injured jockeys fund which is fantastic and what gave you the idea and how is it different from every other quiz book we've seen well the idea came from chris he in he needs something to do so lockdown wasn't particularly good for him he's the kind of guy that you'd want to buy an armchair from because he doesn't sit in it very often and uh, he wrote a sports quiz book in about two or three weeks in the first lockdown. This one's taken a little longer. He did suggest to me to do a, a racing quiz book. And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. OK, that sounds like a lot of work. Uh, and then, of course, second lockdown hit and uh, he had nothing to do. So we got together and, um, and produced this. So it was meant to be a hundred rounds of 10 questions. So a thousand questions. Uh, it ended up for some reason at 102 rounds. I'm not quite sure how, but there's um, there's picture rounds. There's um, trainers and jockeys uh, pictured in uh, COVID masks, so you've got to try and identify them. Um, and there's also uh, 20 or more rounds that have been set by racing celebrities, like your good self, Nick, and uh, people like Peter Scudamore, John Frankham, 
Tom Marquand, Holly Doyle, um, all manner of people. So it's um, we've tried to make it interesting above everything else. Even if you don't know the answer to the questions, we've tried to make it interesting. So uh, I'm sure people will hopefully enjoy it. And those people that have, have bought it already, uh, the feedback's been very positive, luckily. And so far, no one's spotted any mistakes, which is even better. Journalist Steve Jones there. And you can order what is an excellent Christmas gift at www.thehorseracingquizbook.co.uk. Thehorseracingquizbook.co.uk. Or if you are racing this weekend at Newbury or elsewhere, every chance that Chickie and her team from the IJF are there and they will have copies of the book on sale as well. All proceeds going to the Injured Jockeys Fund. So well done to Steve and his team. Now it's Tuesday and that means we go around the bloodstock world with our friends at Weatherby's. It's been a busy few weeks with the release of key industry titles published by Weatherby's, including the return of mares and bloodstock sales review. And then next week, the number one global stallion reference, there's Weatherby's Stallion Book. And all these publications are available at weatherbyshop.co.uk. It's my pleasure to chat with Nancy Sexton, renowned bloodstock journalist this week, who's taken a closer look at both the return of mares and bloodstock sales review. Now, Nancy, every year you will go through these with a fine tooth comb. Is there anything this time, particularly in the return of mares, so we see exactly what mares have been covered by what stallions and how many, that really hits you between the eyes? Uh, just some of the numbers that these younger horses are covering and the popularity and the way people get behind them and um, the way some horses fall out of fashion and then, then they sort of come roaring back. You know, the likes of our dad, he would have been in a you know tricky third and fourth year and then his two-year-old um, started to run and before that the Breeze Up boys have been very keen on them and been chatting away about them. And so he went from sort of 26 to 156. And the likes of Maymass as well, and it, I think he covered close to 300 off the back of, you know, a very good at first copper two-year-olds. And then some of the numbers that these jumps horses covered, you know, a finisse, he, he checked in at 324, which, you know, he hasn't had a runner yet. And the likes of Aldous St. George, who's obviously a top-class there, 312. And, um, no, it's a... You know, there's always it's always interesting. It's a sort of I use a bit of a bible, really, because you know you can see what breeders are up to and um, the numbers these horses covered and their fertility rates. It's, it's a really really useful publication. And, and just the extent to which fashion is followed as well, slavishly, and 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 I guess sire power. Because for for all every breeder and every bloodstock expert will tell you the importance of the mare, the importance of the page, the importance of the yes. family. Every time I have a conversation like this with someone who knows a hell of a lot more about it than me, it's all about stallion power. Yes, it is. I mean, you look at the foal sale this week. If something is, is by a stallion that's deemed unfashionable, they're going to struggle to open the door to it. Um, it doesn't matter how nice it is. And yes, you can see that in, in the numbers here. You know, like New Bay covered 186 mares. Um, he's always been well supported, but last year, obviously, his two-year-olds um, look really promising, and people acted upon that. And the, you know, the same with Bellardo, who had a good first crop, and he went his numbers soared. You know, I think around to 180. And then the same with Wooten Bassett. Coolmore really got behind him, and got the, you know, the machine going on him, and he, he became sort of, you know, a bit, a bit like catnip to breeders. And uh, 244 mares later, you know, and covered a lot of really good mares from Coolmore. And, 
yeah, as you said, it's all it is all about fashion, unfortunately, and that's the world we live in. They've got to be commercial, and the market's got to deem them fashionable. Whether they're, you know, there are a lot of racehorse sires out there, as you know, um, but they might not get that commercial foal or yearling that the market craves. But it's interesting in the week that we've lost Pivotal, who sort of chiselled his way from being a three grand sire to an elite level stallion with multiple Group One winners and an incredible influence as a broodmare sire. Yes. Wooten Bassett himself has has gone from being seen as rather pedestrian in his early days, even though he was a very good two-year-old, to now being one of the elite sires in the world. Have Coolmore put mares to him almost to the point that he can't now fail? Yes, they have. I mean, I counted up 40, at least 40, under their own name. And that's before you, you get to the, the, sort of the Coolmore Associates as well. I mean, you'll probably double that by the time you've... Counted up all those, and they're also they're mares like Clemmy, Peeping Corn, uh, Fancy Blue, and then Judd Want, St. Joyers, Half Sister Frankel, um, Warship Down, St. Fugue. I mean, he is going to get every every chance, um, and of course, he's they're, they're going to view, view him as an outlet for some of those Galileo mares, which they're going to struggle to send to other places unless they you know, sort of they're sent to quite a few to Dubawi. Um, like the minding went there forever together um magical rhododendron so they've really sort of starting to support him an awful lot more but as far as home the home team goes it's all about what's ambassador at the moment and, and as far as the, the Bloodstock sales review is concerned looking at some of these elite stallions I mean, galileo we lost this year of course though his his stock continued to come through, though, in, in fewer numbers. Um, Dubawi, who's had an amazing couple of months. We know about Frankel, first British-based champion, Siren Ages, and his studmate, Kingman, See the Stars, Lope de Vega, Saxon Warrior did very well, Roaring Lion, and on we go. Is there anything in there that, that makes you think that Frankel is not simply going to be champion sire in perpetuity now? Oh, there, there are horses snapping at his heels, and I don't think it's as clear-cut as... Galileo was, you know, that, the dominance that Galileo had. But at the moment, I, I can't honestly see sort of Frankel being toppled to a great degree. Mainly, you know, the firepower he's got and the fact that I think trainers really know how to train them now. You know, they're, they're, they're very enthusiastic, but strong, sort of strong-willed horses. And they're very sound as well, which is obviously a massive thing in his favour. They can keep going. And the same as Cedar Stars, you know, they're very sound genuine horses and if he was to have a, another star next year a proper star um, which he's very you know as we know is capable of throwing then he could come through and sort of um, challenge Frank on the same with Kingman um, again he's got I think he's got his biggest crop of yearlings on the ground right now out of some of Europe's best mares so and then of course Galileo is still you know he's, he's still there in the background I gather he got a handful of mares in foal this year so his story is far from over and he could come back you know, he's still got a fair number of two-year-olds on the ground this year. Some yearlings have come through. Um, I mean, it's great that Britain does finally have a champion sire. I mean, you, you have to go back to Mill Reef, I think, don't you, to, to find the last one. Um, and I'm, I'm pleased for Judmont and, and Frankel because, you know, there's still people that wanted to knock him right the way through. And uh, I think he's, he's, he's shown that, you know, that's completely unfounded. And perhaps finally, Nancy, we ought to talk a little more about Dubawi, who just shaded Galileo to field the highest yearling median price and also 
and also was responsible for the highest price yearling. Given what he did at the Breeders' Cup, given he's got Caribus and any number of these nice Charlie Appleby two-year-olds coming three, is this going to be sort of Dubawi's glorious autumn, do you think, given that yes. quite a few people have thought that his best days might be behind him as a stallion? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And there again, all those horses that you've peeled off, they could quite easily make Dubawi champion sire. And then you've got all the young sons coming through, you know, the likes of Time Test, Night of Thunder, New Bay, I mean, I think what he puts into his progeny is immense soundness and just willingness that trainers like. And, and um, we're, we're going to see, that's going to be an enormous part of his legacy. Um, not only, you know, he's obviously an amazing racehorse sire, but a now, you know, evolving sire of sires and broodmare sire. Thanks to Nancy, to Steve, to Olivier, to Donald McCain earlier in the show. Cornelius Leiser is still with me and Cornelius has a tip for you for today. Well, we, we haven't been able to say this for um, a few months. We're going to take you to Southall, um, the 325 race at Southall. One of the highlights of last weekend away uh, from Aplutard was the success of Izzy Williams on Dolemont uh, at uh, Haydock, trained by her dad, Evan. And they have sabbatical in the 325 at Southall, uh, which won a, a chase last week, racing over hurdles, same kind of mark. And look, really looking forward to seeing that in action as uh, racing returns to Southall this Tuesday afternoon. Fabulous, Cornelius. Thanks so much. As you promised, it'll be an excellent podcast again tomorrow. But that was Tuesday, the 23rd of November. We'll see you again. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.